Let's stand together and we're going to read a little bit from God's word this morning, a little bit abbreviated, but let's stand up and it is the word of God that we are honoring today uh, by standing and I'm going to do the reading, just listen, uh, and I'm going to begin at chapter 16 of the book of John in verse number five. The words will be on the screen. Let me read that to you. But now I go away to him who sent me and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me. For he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. And then I'm going to read just a phrase from one other verse, verse number 23. And it's this phrase that says, and in that day, you will ask me nothing. Father, add your blessing to the preaching and teaching of your word this morning. Open our minds, our, our minds and our hearts, our ears of understanding, and help us to yield to the teaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, the Bible promises, God promises that we have everything we need. Second Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse number 2 down through verse number 4 says, For the life that God has given us and to do it and live it in a godly way. He promised that we have everything we need. Now I've been told that many times. I have ordered things uh, on the famous Amazon. I have uh, gone to the store and bought things in boxes and brought them home. And many times it'll say right on the box, everything you need is right in this box. And you know where I'm going with this. And I believe them. And I get home, open the box, and part C was missing. How many of you been there? You know what I'm talking about. Part C, a few nuts, screws, bolts. That's what's wrong with me is a few nuts and bolts are missing in my, in my head. But anyway, uh, but there's a few, a few parts that were missing. Maybe you've done something else. Maybe you've taken a chance on one of those vacation spots, a destination where everything was supposed to be left and cleaned and stocked in the cabin. The cabin was 26 miles from the nearest corner store, but when you got there, the propane tank was empty or the place never got cleaned or there really weren't any linens and things that you needed on your beds and stuff. So how many of you been there? You've been disappointed by somebody that said everything you need. Come on, be honest. You have. Yeah, I have. So I want to tell you something about our God in heaven. When God makes a promise, he keeps every aspect of that promise. Amen. God is a promise keeper. 
Joshua 21, 45, after they had gone into the promised land and taken possession of it, Joshua told them, not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord has spoken to the house of Israel. All of it came to pass. He said it again, and then there were other places in the scripture that it says the same thing. King Solomon said the same thing. Now, I'm going to get right into this this morning. I want you to know that uh, as of where Pastor Jonathan left off last week, uh, actually as of chapter 13, verse 1, Jesus uh, has left his years of popularity. He is beyond the giving of miraculous signs. He is beyond trying to confirm his identity and authority. And he has ceased personal outreach in the sense of mass evangelism. And he has begun to focus on preparing his disciples for the days ahead. He personally is facing his hour of glory. Now that hour of glory is glorious, but it does include the cross and all of the suffering that he's going to go on, that is going to go on there. And I'd like you to stop and think for a minute. Jesus is the one who is getting ready to go to the cross. But like we do much, many times, what he was getting ready to endure was viewed by the disciples as to how it affected them. And they could not even think about what he was getting ready to do. How did it affect me? Do we do that sometimes? Tragedy happens to a loved one, but we look at it in light of how it affects us. What is this going to mean for me? You know, so-and-so gets sick, so-and-so has an accident, so-and-so passes away. What's that going to mean for me? You know, I think we have a habit of doing those kinds of things. Jesus knows, however, that they're brokenhearted. He recognizes the emotional roller coaster, and he spent four chapters, chapter 14 through 17, dealing with this issue. And uh, he told them that everything was going according to plan, that he and the Father had made provisions for them. And I just want you to notice today, especially in this passage, what amazing tenderness that Jesus employed as he was dealing with their disappointment. He's going to the cross, but he's dealing with their disillusionment, and he is amazing in doing it. Our passage breaks down into two sections. It's verse 5 to 15, which talks about the special help the Lord gives from the Holy Spirit. In verses 16 through 24, that talks about the joyous hope from Jesus. So there's two big things I want to say to you this morning. Number one, God has provided for us by sending us the Holy Spirit to live with us and indwell us. He's given us the comforter. He's given us the counselor. He has given us the paraclete, the one who's alongside, who's inside, and who never leaves us. And then the second thing he's done is Jesus says that he's going to give us himself and his joyous hope comes from Jesus himself. Now, he promised them the comforter. Verse number five says, but now I go away. And that was the issue. Jesus comes back to that discouragement caused by his departure. I have come. I have come from the Father. The Father sent me. That's all the way through chapter 12. Chapter 12. I have come. The Father has sent me. Over and over and over, he says that. But now, the predominant words are, I must go. I'm going. I have come, yes, but now it's time to go. And they were just really having a hard time with that going thing. Now, John 14, 1 to 3 says he's going, but he's also coming again. So don't let your heart be troubled. And that's kind of like saying, um, I'm going to go away, but don't worry, I'm coming back again. And don't be thinking about all that. Just listen to the words that I'm sharing. That's kind of like saying, for the next one minute, don't think about monkeys. I'm going away. Don't worry about that part. Well, I mean, it's just impossible. In fact... They really couldn't fo focus on anything else. 
Um, it's very tough. Jesus says, it's time for me to go. Look at verse number six. It says, because, uh, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Now they're going to miss him and they were counting on him. Uh, Jesus was facing incredible horrors, but they could not get it out of their minds that he was leaving. And you know, Jesus didn't scold them. He didn't say buck up boys. He didn't do anything like that. He gave them comfort. He promised the comforter and he gave them and us the heavenly helper. The Holy Spirit does some things for us. He helps with our blindness. Uh, verse number five to seven, I want you to look at these words. None of you ask me where you are going. Look at verse number six. None of you ask me where you are going there in verse number five. None of you, ask, what, what, what's he saying? He's not saying, not talking about location. He's saying that you're not asking me about my trip to the cross. It means that he is going to be delivered to the Jews. Later, he's going to suffer a cruel death, a criminal's death. He had told them about it, warned them about it about four times, but they're not asking him, why are you doing that? What's this cross about? No, no, no. They, weren't, they, weren't, they were focused on themselves. And even Peter at one point says to him, look, you know, what are we going to have? Because we gave up everything to follow you. Now, folks, we can't always see how that our personal hurt can help. They were hurting. They couldn't get beyond the idea that he was leaving them. Now, after he said that he was leaving them, he, he gave them just a continual, uh, a continual uh, uh, bath or a shower of blessings of what he was doing to provide for them. For instance, he was leaving them, but he, listen to these things. All of these from chapter 14, verse 1. He promised them a home in heaven. He promised them he was coming back. He promised the coming of the comforter. He promised his own continuing presence. He promised them that they would be fruitful and he would teach them how. He made them part of a new covenant community where love was the overriding rule. He promised that they would be effective witnesses, but in spite of all that he was saying, they were inconsolable. And the only thing they heard was, I am going back to my father. So everything else he said after that was kind of like, they didn't hear anything said. How many of you have gotten bad news and the bad news was like an avalanche. And once you got that bad news, the explanations and the, and the, and the help and the promises and all those, whatever anybody was trying to tell you in addition, all you heard was the bad news and everything else they said was just, you didn't hear it. Why? Because sometimes, sometimes we hear something that is so overwhelming that it just blows us away and we just can't hear any of the good and positive things. We can't hear any of the help. We can't hear any of the solutions. And boy, that is exactly where they were. They just could not get beyond. Their hearts were filled with sorrow. They were sorrowful because he was leaving and all of these things, but they were also sorrowful about what we've left everything. They, they couldn't get beyond it. Sometimes we can't see what Jesus can see. It was to their advantage that Jesus went away. He could not be with them in his physical body everywhere. He had to come back as the spirit. Jesus couldn't send the comforter until he died, had risen and returned to his father. Their personal ministries as well as the worldwide gospel ministry could not happen except by the spirit. He had to leave. There could be no Pentecost, no filling, no gospel expansion until he left and the spirit came. Jesus promised that when the Holy Spirit came, he would give them eternal life. He would indwell them. He would instruct them and through them all believers and empower them in their witness and activate them for the promises of God. They had all of these promises, but they, they just could not hear it. That's going to change. 
But at the moment, that's all they could think about. The second thing is the Holy Spirit helps with our mission. Uh, chapter 8, or ch- uh, verses 8 through 11, if you look at verse 8, and when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit does not minister in a vacuum, folks. Just as the Son of God had to have a body in order to do his work while he was here on earth, the Spirit of God needs a body to accomplish his ministries, and that body is the church. We preached on it many times. Several of us have preached on this subject that we are the hands, the feet. We are the eyes, the ears. We are the heart of compassion. We are the hands that reach out. We are the ones that tell the gospel news to other people. God needs a body to accomplish his ministry, and that body is the church. Sometimes we hear people pray, Lord, send your spirit to speak to this lost one. May the spirit go from heart to heart. Well, folks, the spirit does not float in some ghostly way up and down the rows of a church building seeking to win the lost. He works, but he works as the word of God is preached and taught and as his people. The Holy Spirit works through people in whom he lives. Warren Wiersbe said that. Make no mistake, God intends for us to be his witnesses. It is the Holy Spirit who convicts and convinces the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Three words, sin. You know, all manner of sin, every kind of sin can be forgiven all people except one. And the one sin, it says there in in the passage, the one sin, verse 9, of which they cannot be forgiven is they do not believe in me. You know, the sin that sends people to hell is not some gross act. The sin that sends people to hell is the refusal or the rejection of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is to say no to Jesus. This is why people do not go to heaven. They've said no to Jesus. They've not received Jesus as their savior. Jesus said so. I'm convicting them of sin because they do not believe in me. Jonathan pointed out last week that the Holy Spirit testifies and he does and he uses us in this ministry. He testifies through us. Folks, we cannot bring conviction. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. We witness, we spread the gospel, we seek to evangelize, but the Holy Spirit alone can bring conviction. I loved what Aaliyah was saying earlier about the ministry of prayer. And folks, sometimes we think we come to a place where the only thing we can do is pray. Well, the truth is you haven't really done anything until you've prayed. Because it is the work of the Holy Spirit that God responds to and he sends him and he uses us. We can witness, we can do all of these things. To convince of sin is the first step to salvation. To be convicted of sin is the first step of salvation. To understand that we are sinners separated from God. Now let me just pull over and say this. It's not going to set well with some of you because you use this. We need to stop telling people about the wonderful life God has planned for them. We need to stop telling people that they have a God-sized hole in their heart and God can fill it up so that they can be happy. We need to do away with the idea that Jesus can bring you happiness greater than any other on earth can bring you happiness. Because I want you to know that if that was true, then why would the Bible say all they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer? Let me hear that again. All they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer if we, never, if we never have any vituperation headed toward us, if we never have anybody upset with us, we ne- if, if, we, if everybody speaks well of us, we ought, to, we ought to be aware of our own testimony. That's so important. No, the message is this. The message is that our sin has separated us from God and we stand in peril every minute under God's wrath until we throw ourselves on Jesus' mercy. 
We're separated. The Bible says in Isaiah 59 verse 1, it is our sins that have separated between us and our God. Now look, what, what does this mean in practicality? You know, we think, and this is the way we act, sometimes we think that the people who are lost are poor, destitute, on dope, drugged out, homeless. They're lost and they need help. But I'm here to tell you this morning that every person on Wall Street that does not know Jesus, even if he makes $10 million a year, is lost and they need Jesus. Every person needs the gospel, amen? The word of God, every person needs the gospel. Every person. They're not lost because they're poor. See, that's the whole idea if you're not happy, if you're not fulfilled. Well, that's earthbound thinking. We're talking about being separated from God for eternity. People need to hear the gospel and they need us to be bold and to share it. He's gonna convict the world of sin and of righteousness. We're not righteous. The Jews, the Pharisees, the high priests, they thought they were defending Judaism by dealing with this upstart charlatan that was standing in the way of keeping Judaism going. That, that's what they thought they were doing. Jesus told them in 846, which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? The Bible teaches he was tempted in all points as we are yet without sin. Well, I want you to look at the passage there. It says of sin because they do not believe me. And he says, I convinced the world of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more. See, this message about sin is positive because once we identify that we're sinners and we're separated from God, then there's something can happen and we can be saved. That's the Holy Spirit conviction. And then this whole idea of righteousness. They, they thought they were righteous and Jesus was a sinner, but there's just one thing. Which one of them rose and went back to the father? Who is it that could come in God's presence? <laughs> the one who, is, who has no sin. You see, Jesus had no sin, did no sin, not in thought, action, or deed. He bore our sins and he paid the price for them on the cross. And when he was done, he went back to his father because he had no sin. He was righteous. Therefore, it says, so it was proved that he went back to the father. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Judgment. Well, what is that about? Well, John 12, 31 says, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. The ruler of the world, the prince of the power of the air, the one who tries to make himself Lord over God's own creation. Satan is the prince of the world, folks, but he's a defeated prince. Jesus died at the cross and it was the, big, it was the death wound, the death blow to Satan and his kingdom. He's, gonna, he's working all he can to convince people that he's still in charge. But I'm here to tell you that one day when Jesus returns, he will be taken for a thousand years. He will be bound uh, in the abyss. And after that, he'll have a short time out. But then he will be thrown where the beast and the false prophet are. He's going to be thrown in there forever and ever. And I'm just here to tell you that Satan was judged. His judgment was declared on the cross. The sentence will be carried out in the future. Amen. The Holy Spirit's going to help us learn. He's going to help us learn. Verses 12 to 15, at the time Jesus was speaking to them, they couldn't take it all in. It says in 15, all things that the, all things that the Father has are mine, and therefore I said that he will take what's mine and declare it to you. And he says, a little while I'm with you and you won't see me. Verse 12, I have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them right now. They couldn't take it in. They were missing the helper, the heavenly teacher. Another reason that Jesus needed to leave was so that the Holy Spirit could come and guide them. 
He sent us the man of truth, the spirit of truth, Jesus. That's John 1, 14 to 16, or John 14, verse 16 and 17. Uh, he, uh, this, this Holy Spirit is presented as the spirit of truth. John 14, 6 says, Jesus is the truth. Now then we're talking about him sending the spirit of truth. And what's he gonna do? He's gonna guide us into all truth. The word of God can only be understood by those who are born of God or are taught by the spirit of truth. First Corinthians 2, 11 and following says that the natural unregenerate person on this earth can never understand the things of God. They sound like foolishness to him. They don't even know what you're talking about. You talking about substitutionary death, talk about Jesus and the atonement, talk about the gospel. And they, they, they screw up their face. They don't know what you're talking about. Why? Until they have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, they can't understand anything because they are spiritually discerned. The spirit of God in them makes, speaks to their spirit, brings it alive and makes them able to understand. And so this is what he does. He is the spirit of truth. He guides us into all truth. And the Holy Spirit inspired the apostles to write the epistles to expound the truth of the gospel and of the Christian life. And he tells us of things to come. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna just kind of jump a couple of these things. He tells us of things to come. The spirit came and revealed the future to the apostles and the prophets. We learn about them in the epistles and especially in the book of Revelation. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's what he's doing in your life and mine. So we've talked about these, these elements having to do with this comforter, this paraclete, the Greek word, this counselor. Now then he does something else. He promised them himself in verses 16 through 24. Verse 16, a little while uh, and uh, you will not see me and a little while and you will see me and because I go to the father. And uh, then some of his disciples said among themselves, what is this that he says to us a little while and you will not see me and again a little while and you will see me because I go to the father. Verse 18, therefore they said, what is this? that he says a little while. We don't know what he is saying. Now, Jesus knew that they desired to ask him. And so he said to them, chapter 14, verse 15, he promised them another helper speaking of the Holy Spirit, but he didn't mean a replacement helper, but another one, another one of the same kind. He, this Holy Spirit would be with them, would dwell in them, and when they would be then indwelt by this divine presence. But then in verse 18, Jesus said, but I'm not gonna leave you orphans, I'm coming to you. Verse 23, he promises that he, in a very real way, he and his father would make their home with them. By way of the Holy Spirit, we have the presence of the Trinity in our life. Verse 16 to 18, these disciples were confused and it caused the sorrow that they were experiencing. Confusion causes sorrow. How many of you have ever been confused a little bit in your Christian life with the way things are going? Would you just raise your hand? A little while. In a few days, it's going to become clear, but for the moment, they couldn't understand what he was saying. Jesus was saying, now you see me and then you won't and then you will see me again. They didn't understand this. What are you talking about? I get confused in my own Christian life from time to time. You know, we're told to ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and it will be open to you. So what do you do? Well, you ask and you seek and you knock and does it always happen immediately? Just like you ask, salt and knock, does it always happen right on the spot? Is that the way, is that the way or are you sometimes, how many of you have been confused in your spiritual life from time to time? Raise your hand up. How many in your prayer life you've been confused from time to time? Me too. They didn't understand. Was this some kind of hide and seek game? When's this going to happen? Verse 19 to 22, 
says this. It says, and Jesus knew they desired to ask him. And he says, are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said a little while and you will not see me? And again, a little while and you will see me? Most assuredly or truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. And you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. He gives an example. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. (laughs) You would weep. You will weep, he says. You will be sorrowful. Jesus is going to be cruelly crucified. He's going to die like a criminal. And they're going to weep bitterly. And they're going to mourn for Jesus. Folks, there are just times in your life when there's no consolation. I almost brought the stack of funeral folders that I've done in the last 18 months. They're about that thick, just full of funeral folders. And I've seen a lot of tears, I've seen a lot of heartbreak, and I've seen people that just they just got a lot of questions. Shared the heartbreak of that separation with many. But in a little while, Jesus rose again and their tears were gone. Their sorrow did turn into joy. Death was defeated, the fear of death was pushed away. The example was a woman in labor who was suffering excruciating pain and could hardly stand it. But when the child was born, pain and sorrow was forgotten. How many mothers we got here this morning? Raise your hand up. Oh, is there any pain in the childbirth process? I just got a question. Is there any pain in that? I've never done that. Never been through that. I can't speak to it. Okay. Is there any pain in it? But let me ask you another question. But when the little baby comes out and they put it in your hands and they wipe the face off, clean it up a little bit and give it to you, are you still thinking about the pain or are you thinking about that Little baby. Ah, it changes to joy. All pain and sorrow is forgotten. I have to say this. This isn't the main point of the sermon, but it shows up. I want you to look at it there. It says in verse number 22, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Not a potential human, not a potential person. But a human being, I'm here to tell you the word of God says that from the beginning, from conception, this is a person known by God. Psalm 139 says that he knew everything about that baby before the world began. Every one of them is a human being. Oh, don't let the world lie to you about what the product of conception is. It's a human being. It's a baby, not a fetus. It's not a product of conception. It's a baby. Praise the Lord. Boy, let's respect life. Now, that was free. It didn't cost you anything. (laughs) Let me go on to the next point. I want you to see in verse number 23, the main point of everything I wanted to say this morning. Verse number 23 says, "In, in that day, you will ask me nothing. What day? In that day, you will ask me, well, well, I mean, When your sorrow is turned to joy because there I am in front of you raised from the dead, all your questions are going to be answered. They've been asking a lot of questions. This may be the most important point of all. They were asking questions since Jesus said he was going away. Where are you going? Why can't we come? How can we know the way? Show us the Father. Judas, not Iscariot, said, how will you make yourself known to us and not the world? What is this? We don't understand. What is this in a little while? We don't know. They were just, just question, question. But you know what? 
in the upper room when Jesus came right through the wall and the people who were on, Cleopas and his partner who were on the road to Emmaus came back and said, we were on the road to Emmaus and he appeared with us and he's alive and we had just one wonderful time with him. And there Jesus comes right through the wall into the room where they're standing and he says, peace be unto you. He said, if you don't believe I'm real, give me a piece of fish and I'll eat it right in front of you. And he did. And there he was. He was alive from the dead. He defeated death. He died. He was buried and he rose again. And there he was. And guess what? Their questions were all answered. That's nice, Pastor Phil. That was good for them. What about all my questions? Let me uh, move on. It says, in that day, you can ask the Father in my name and he will answer you. That's what he goes on to say there in those last two little parts of the rest of verse 23 and verse 24. The first part wasn't about prayer. It was about, you're you're not gonna have any more of these questions in that day about the why questions. How many of you have ever had a why question about the events of your life? In that day, you can ask the Father in my name and he will answer you and it's gonna give you joy that nobody can take away from you. Now, let me say something to you this morning, brothers and sisters. We have lots of questions. We've suffered losses. We've had our hearts broken by death and deceit by unwarranted attack. We have poured our lives into family relationships. We've even had benevolent endeavors and we've suffered rejection or we've had failures and they've left us in tears. We've given ourselves to people and to good causes that seem to come to nothing and we just got lots of questions. We do what we're supposed to do and that that little three-letter word just keeps coming. Why? Where was God? What's going on? Well, folks, I'm here to tell you that the hurricanes blow and the tornadoes rip through and fires burn and earthquakes shake and we just have lots of questions and it's natural. But in a little while. When he said that to them, in a little while, your questions will be answered. He was referring to the resurrection. But let me read you another verse. It says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36, for you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Verse 37, for yet a little while and he who is coming will come and he will not tarry. They got their questions answered in the upper room. We're gonna get our questions answered when the trumpet blows, when the dead in Christ rise. when we which are alive and remain are caught up together and we're going to be with them, meet them in the air and forever we're going to be with the Lord and we're going to look at him and we're going to see him and we're going to walk on golden streets and guess what? The questions are all going to be answered because Jesus is coming back. What do you do in the meantime? (laughs) You pray and you ask in Jesus' name for him to give you strength and grace and ability to handle whatever you're going through that you don't understand because you may not. I hate to tell you, all the counselors in the world may never be able to tell you why you're going through what you're going through. But when Jesus comes, get the picture? How many of you have a few questions? I do. I just want you to know Jesus is coming. And those questions are just going to fade and we're going to be with him. In just a little while, we're all going to understand. We won't have any questions. Folks, we can share the gospel without fear right here. I just want you to know that in a little while, we're going to understand everything. We won't have any more questions. Jesus is going to come and all is going to be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye at the trump of God. 
I have three simple applications for each and every one of us today, and that is this from this passage of Scripture in the book of John, chapter 16, verse 5 to 24. The first thing I can tell you today is that you can count on the Holy Spirit of God. He will help you. He's the helper. He's the comforter. He's the counselor. He's the teacher. He's the enabler. He will help you get through all these tornadoes and hurricanes and earthquakes that are in your life. He will help you. Count on him. If you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit and he will use you as his witness. He will guide you in his life. And then I want you to do this. I want you to count on the return of Jesus because he's going to clear up all confusion and he's going to answer all of our questions. And then until then, we can call on God in prayer and we can do so in Jesus' name because that's the byproduct, the side benefit of believing on the Lord Jesus. And that is, is that he presents us as part of the family to his father. And we can come right in his presence and say, Lord, please help me, Father. Would you bow your heads? Close your eyes. If you don't know Jesus today, I pray that you'd come talk, me, talk about it with me. If you do know Jesus today and you're going through all kinds of stuff and you got lots of questions, I pray that you would just... Trust God with your questions until you can hear the answer straight from him. But there's sufficient grace for every day. Talk to him. Ask him to empower you. And the third thing is, is remember why we're here. We are here to be his witnesses. It's a state of being. Yes, there's some doing, but first of all, it's why, it's who we are. It's why we're here, not to hide from the gospel of Jesus, but to share the gospel of Jesus. Dear Father, there's a lot of folks in the room this morning got lots of questions, and they just, they've been through this and that and hurt and heartache and problems and loss, and whether it's financial loss or whether it's personal loss or whether it's the loss of a loved one or a family member. They've just been through all kinds of stuff, Lord. And I pray, Father, that as the why questions and the hurt and the seeming prayers that get delayed and answered, Lord, I pray that they would just trust you for your grace to be able to get through until the time the trumpet blows and we hear right from you and everything makes sense. Thank you, dear Jesus, for your word. Thank you for this people. Help us to love you with our whole heart and follow you without fear. In Jesus' name, amen.